it makes no sense to expel talented young people who, for all intents and purposes, are Americans. They've been raised as Americans, understand themselves to be part of this country. To expel these young people who want to staff our labs or start new businesses or defend our country simply because of the actions of their parents or because of the inaction of politicians. Hi, my name is Jose Luis Mendoza, and I am the co-host of Hola Cultura's new bilingual podcast on DocuLife, with support from the DC Oral History Collaborative. The quote you just heard was former President Barack Obama on June 15, 2012, when he announced DACA, also known as the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, a federal immigration program that provides protection from deportation to exemplary, undocumented immigrant youth, commonly referred to as dreamers. But the story didn't end there. Listen up. I'm here today to announce that the program known as DACA that was effectuated under the Obama administration is being rescinded. That was Jeff Sessions, then the Trump administration's attorney general, on September 5, 2017. Things changed again after President Joe Biden took office. Here's a clip from March 5, 2022. Provide a pathway to citizenship for dreamers, those with temporary status, farm workers, essential workers. Revise our laws so businesses have workers they need and families don't wait decades to reunite. It's not only the right thing to do, it's economically smart thing to do. Despite the rhetoric on both sides, immigration is not only a political issue, it's a human rights issue. In this podcast, we will be hearing from five local D.C. area immigrants, Brenda, Gerson, Carla, Maria, and Jacinto, who each found ways to navigate their immigrant status and thrive but have also felt stereotyped by politicians and the political theater their legal status has evoked. I was mostly scared of how would people react to knowing she is not from here, she doesn't have a status. But I feel like as I got a little bit more older, I kind of realized that that's part of who I am. That makes me me. Ahorita estoy tratando o estoy apreciando todo eso y eso me pone un poco más feliz, ¿no? Que mi expresión está cambiando. Estoy tratando o estoy aprendiendo a querer todo eso, de dónde vengo. I always felt mad whenever like they asked you about your nationality or about your ethnicity and you had to put Latino. I always felt so angry because I didn't know I was a Latina until I saw that box. My whole life I grew up thinking I'm Bolivian. I had no idea that I was a Latina until I saw that damn box. So I guess like, they just love labeling us. In 10th grade, I remember writing letters to President Obama and asking them for citizenship, pathway to citizenship for undocumented immigrants. Even if I didn't know what it meant, I actually just started writing letters. Los jóvenes ahorita están tomando mucha acción and they're rising up to the plate. They're doing things. Ya no están soñando. Este pathway to citizenship, la justicia inmigrante, ya no es un sueño. Ya it's like so actionable. And there's a lot of energy. According to the U.S. Census Bureau's 2021 American Community Survey, the country's foreign-born population is about 45 million people, or 13.6% of the population. A report from the Pew Research Center found 10.5 million of those immigrants are undocumented, 
As of 2019, researchers from the Migration Policy Institute estimate the largest group of immigrants come from Mexico, accounting for about a quarter of the overall immigrant population in the United States. In Washington, D.C., approximately 13.4% of residents are immigrants, with D.C. being home to the second largest Salvadorian enclave in the United States. Their report also found that there are approximately 560 DACA recipients living in Washington, D.C., out of about 611,000 nationwide. We spoke with Juliana Macedo Don Nascimento, who is a recipient of the DACA program and the Deputy Director of Federal Advocacy for United We Dream in Washington, D.C., the largest immigrant youth-led grassroots network in the country. She gave us a quick history lesson on the last two decades of U.S. immigration policy debate, the DREAM Act, and the creation of the United States Department of Homeland Security, which is responsible for the nation's public security. Congress introduced this bill, the DREAM Act, to try and create a pathway to citizenship for people like me. And unfortunately, did not pass. As we know, there were other things happening in 2001. And DHS was created the year after that. And we saw really a scapegoating and demonizing of immigrants after 9-11. And with the creation of DHS and ICE, we saw the Republican Party in particular really turn their backs on immigrants and creating all kinds of obstacles to passing any kind of immigration reform, even though they know our system is broken. So throughout the years, I think 2007, there was another attempt at the DREAM Act. Then 2010, there was another attempt at the DREAM Act. And because it kept failing, and not just the DREAM Act, right, but what they used to call comprehensive immigration reform bills kept failing. We, as immigrant youth, turned to then-President Obama for him to use his executive powers to create a program that would protect immigrant youth from the threat of deportation. And we kept hearing how impossible that was, that it wasn't going to happen. But lo and behold, on his re-election year, <laughs> all of a sudden there was political will to protect immigrant youth. And that's how DACA was created. I want to be clear that that was thanks to the organizing and the relentless annoyance that we created for Obama. In order to qualify for the program, you had to be under the age of 31 as of June 15, 2012, come to the U.S. while under the age of 16, be enrolled in school, or have completed high school, obtained a GED, or been honorably discharged from the military, and have not been convicted of a felony or significant misdemeanor. Once accepted, DACA recipients have to pay $495 every two years to renew their permits. It basically means that we are not priority for deportation. And we can apply for this policy every two years to renew it. And we get deferred action on our deportation. We basically present ourselves to the government and we say like, please don't deport me. I've been here for too long. And then they say, okay, we'll keep you for two years. Here's a work permit so you can work meanwhile. And then we do that every two years. As you can imagine, it's a bit undignified and humiliating to have to go to USCIS office every two years and have them take your picture and your fingerprints as if those things change every two years and depend on the government in that way to be able to have livelihoods, right, and jobs. DACA recipients currently do not have a pathway to citizenship or permanent residency. Throughout the Trump era, many recipients lived in constant fear of DACA's termination. This fear, 
became a reality on September 5, 2017, when Trump ended the program and stopped accepting applications. However, in June 2020, the Supreme Court ruled that the Trump administration improperly terminated the policy, leading to DACA's reinstatement a month later. But that was not the last word. Today, only those who were accepted into the DACA program before July 16, 2021 are protected due to another federal court decision by a judge in Texas who ruled the program illegal. In 2017, when President Trump came into power, one of the things he did his first year was announce the end of the policy. That announcement was, of course, challenged. And because the cruelty of that administration is only surpassed by incompetence, we won that case. But between 2017 and 2020, when we won it, initial applications were closed. So no new applicants. We expect about 300,000 people a year lost out on the chance to benefit from the policy. And after we won, another challenge was reawakened, re-up from the state of Texas and nine other states, challenging the policy itself and not just how it was ended or administrative law. And that's what we are facing now is that you know, Judge Hainan in the district court in Texas has already said DACA is unlawful. The Fifth Circuit just agreed with them. And now they are making a decision on the rule that the Biden administration has published and is about to come into effect, basically codifying the policy, not really changing it much. But because of administrative law, now they have to consider the rule and not just the 2012 memo. And so now we are in this limbo. It's been a decade since Obama created the DACA program, and DACA recipients still have not been provided with a pathway to citizenship. The last time Congress passed significant legislation was with the Immigration Reform and Control Act of 1986. Since then, there has been widespread agreement in Congress and around the country about how deeply broken the U.S. immigration system is. This uncertainty has led some undocumented immigrants to feel like they have no other option but to marry U.S. citizens in order to obtain legal status in the U.S. That conversation has been brought up multiple, multiple times, which sucks because I'm like, I don't want to get married just to have that. Like, if I want to get something, I want to get it by myself. I don't want to feel like I am dependent on someone. It is horrifying that tying yourself legally to another person might be the only way that you can become a citizen in this country. It's just kind of humiliating to think about. When I think about all the hard work I've put into becoming the person that I am, into the professional that I am, all the ways that I try to give back to my community, all the ways that I feel I make other people's lives better. The idea that none of that matters because I'm not married to a U.S. citizen, it's really heartbreaking. Many immigrant youth continue to strive for better futures despite the harsh realities they face. Undocumented students aren't able to qualify for federal financial aid, but despite the cost and other obstacles, more than 427,000 undocumented students were enrolled in higher education, according to the U.S. Census Bureau 2019 American Community Survey. Out of those students, 181,000 students were either DACA recipients or DACA eligible. Macedo and our five narrators were also able to persevere and go to college. In her interview, for example, 
Brenda Perez Amador discussed how applying for college as an undocumented person forced her to think more about her legal status in the country and whether she could afford to pursue higher education. Si no tienes documentos, eres considerada una persona internacional y eso es mucho más dinero. So mi identidad como estudiante indocumentada se hizo más evidente y lo tenía que tomar más en cuenta. Mis compañeros, los compañeros que estaban en ese programa hablaba mucho de que, oh, ¿cuál universidad vas a ir? ¿Qué quieres estudiar? Entonces, este, pues, en partes me sentía mal porque dije, pues, nadie tiene esas pláticas conmigo, mis hermanos no hablan de eso conmigo, quieren que trabaje. Entonces, parte de mí fue como empujarme a mí mismo también de, de ser, no, pues, este, si ellos lo están haciendo, yo, ¿por qué no? I never doubted that I'd go to college. I never doubted that I would become something of myself. And, you know, I wasn't sure what I was going to become because I was going through all these different phases. But I knew that I was going to become something. Y'all asked me before what moment I had been afraid for myself. And yeah, it was when Trump got elected and all of his promises to deport all of us. That prompted me to like, oh, I should go back to school and get a graduate degree because if I'm deported, at least I have a graduate degree from an American university. Really, that was the thought process. Like, if you ever have to make a life decision based on your deportation prospects, that's not like a pleasant thing to think about. But I ended up going to Princeton. That was wild to me that I even got in. I got a master's in public policy from an Ivy League. I could never have done that without DACA. Politicians often refer to DACA recipients as dreamers. But this framing of DACA recipients as the good immigrants has created friction in immigration communities and has been rejected by a growing number of DACA recipients themselves. Macedo says DACA recipients also soon found the dreamer term divisive. The term dreamer, the idea that we are valedictorians and we are these special people who just work so hard or the idea that we deserve this somehow because we work harder than others was something that was politically advantageous to us but that we quickly understood that it really set us apart as quote unquote the good immigrant and the truth of the matter is you can't be good enough for these people <laughs> no matter how good you are they'll never see you as a human being who deserves dignity, right? And it sets us apart from the rest of our community. It's a way to divide us. It makes it seem like, oh, I came here through no fault of my own. So like, whose fault was it? My parents, they're the criminals. So would I trade a green card for myself if it meant that my parents were gonna be deported? No. So it really creates this division in our communities and in our families that doesn't need to be there. One of our narrators, Brenda, talked about how difficult it was for her when she first received DACA. She questioned how it was possible for her to receive this privilege when she felt her mother was working and contributing more to the country than her. When the DACA came we were waiting pudieran incluir a mi mamá que provee por nosotros que nos ayuda y no la incluyeron y para mí fue muy difícil aceptar eso. We spoke with Abel Núñez, who is the executive director of Carecen, which is an organization that provides resources for undocumented immigrants like legal aid or citizenship preparation. Carecen 
also acts as an advocacy group when it comes to immigration reform. I think the question of why parents weren't included was a political decision, which I think was, in hindsight, not the best. Because what it did, it created sort of this model group of immigrants that are deserving of protection, you know, because a lot of what was said, and we continue to say it, is through no fault of their own, right? We're talking about the class of DACA people that are protected, so they shouldn't have to suffer the consequences. But by that statement, what you're not saying is that someone was at fault. And guess who that was at fault? The parents. So the parents don't deserve anything. And we created this class, and actually it was us that moved that in the movement because we thought at the time it was gonna get us through a, a legal program, and it didn't. And so right now it created sort of the deserving youth, right? That's the way they're talked about, versus the bad, evil parents that broke the laws, the lawbreakers, which are the parents and deserve nothing. And it's unfortunate that it's spoken away. I think in the movement, we need to sort of reflect on that and understand that it was a tactical error that now we're paying for because, you know, a large part of our families are excluded and it's making it more difficult for us to get anything for them, given that they're the bad actors that broke the law and hurt their children. On the other end of the spectrum from the good immigrant is the idea that undocumented immigrants are lawbreakers, which has allowed former President Donald Trump along with other politicians, to create a narrative around undocumented immigrants as criminals. Many immigration advocates see this strategy as one that scapegoats undocumented immigrants. When Mexico sends its people, they're not sending their best. They're not sending you. They're sending people that have lots of problems, and they're bringing those problems with us. They're bringing drugs, they're bringing crime, they're rapists, and some, I assume, are good people. But I speak to border guards, and they tell us what we're getting. And it only makes common sense. They're sending us not the right people. It's coming from more than Mexico. It's coming from all over South and Latin America, and it's coming probably, probably from the Middle East. But we don't know, because we have no protection, and we have no competence. We don't know what's happening. And it's got to stop. And it's got to stop fast. Immigrant advocates and experts say not all immigrants have the options or resources to migrate to the U.S. legally. The U.S. has very limited ways in which people can adjust, right? I think that there's a notion there that the borders are just open and people come over and within like 10 days they're, they're voting in our elections. And it doesn't really work that way. In the U.S., you can either adjust through family, and it's very limited who can petition you, right? You can be petitioned by your husband and wife. You can be petitioned by your parents. You can petition your parents, and you can be petitioned by a brother or sister if they are citizens of this nation. That is it. You can't bring uncles, cousins, you know, none of those things. The other way you can adjust is through job, employment visas, we also have the visa lottery. And then we have sort of the protections. So you can come in as a refugee, you can ask for asylum. We have certain visas that are self-petitioned. That means if you're a victim of domestic violence, you can self-petition if your domestic partner was the abuser, was the one that was gonna petition you. But now you can self-petition because that puts you in danger. 
While seeking asylum is a way for immigrants to legally enter the United States with the chance to eventually obtain a green card, for many, it doesn't lead to residency. A 2020 report from the University of Syracuse found that about 70% of asylum seekers end up having their claims denied. Official U.S. law states that the individual must prove that they are from a country that may persecute them or have a well-founded fear of persecution based on factors like race, religion, or political affiliation. When a claim is denied, the asylum seeker can file an appeal in an immigration court if they can afford the attorney fees, but it could still take months before a federal judge reviews the case. Ironically for many asylum seekers, while U.S. intervention may have contributed to the home country conditions that prompted them to flee for their lives, there is no guarantee that the U.S. government's responsibility will be taken into consideration by immigration judges. Most of the time, immigration flow works to the U.S. is because the U.S. has been in that country or has had a deep relationship. I mean, the reason why the largest foreign-born population here is Mexicans, you know, it's no surprise that they are, one, we share a border, and two, there's a long history of the U.S. invading that country and taking it over, and it's a very symbiotic relationship, so immigration will happen. Right now, the third largest migratory group are Salvadorians. The U.S. supported the military in a 12-year civil war to the tune of a million dollars a day in military aid. Those have consequences. Look at the Afghans that are coming in, the Iraqis that are coming in. Those are places where the U.S., for their own national needs, have gone in. And then, I mean, another country like the Philippines. We have a huge Filipino community. Again, all of where we've been, these are the consequences. This is migration into the country. So it's not like every country, every immigrant comes to the U.S. That is such a fallacy, right? Because it plays on the idea of the American dream and that we're a country of immigrants. So we think every immigrant wants to come. Most of the immigrants that are coming to the U.S., it wasn't their first choice. It was out of some need to provide for their family or fleeing violence, right? Whether that's criminal violence or government oppression violence. And so we have to also think that our countries of origins are beautiful. We don't want to leave better weather, better conditions, but unfortunately we can't live there. And some of those conditions have been created by policies directly linked to the U.S. Immigration today has become politicized. Republican candidates may often see their poll numbers within their base rise when speaking with strident rhetoric that goes against illegal immigration. With Republicans and Democrats focused on appeasing their respective bases, it's little wonder that no significant legislation has been passed since the Reagan era. Historically, Republicans have had no problem with immigrants. But since 9-11 and DHS and ICE have been created, the scapegoating of immigrants and the militarization of our border has gone off the deep end. And it's an easy target for Republicans because unfortunately, they've become a party of white supremacists. I'm not gonna mince any words here. And they like to scapegoat brown people. They don't like us. At the end of the day, that's as simple a term as I can put it in. And when it comes to Democrats, it's an easy win for them to keep this as an issue because they know what the alternative for us is. So they know that we can't really like turn Republican, right? And at the end of the day, a lot of us can't even vote anyways. So 
to them, it's an easy way for them to come out as a good guys and an easy issue for them to win. It's really on us to create the pressure for them to act. We can look at what's happening in immigration, but we also have to think about what's happening in the U.S. in terms of the change of populations. By the year 2045, Latinos will be the largest group in the U.S., surpassing whites. And the dominant culture right now is scared that they are going to lose control of the stewardship of the assets of this country. And so they will tolerate even well-meaning, to put it in political terms, Democrats or liberals, because they're going to question, are my children going to be able to go to the schools that they want? Are my children going to be able to get the jobs that they want? And unfortunately, although they may not be the instruments, they will tolerate more and more restrictive spaces. We can kind of see what's happening in Texas, a sort of a canary in the mine. Currently, the Texas governor is sending immigrants to Washington, D.C., New York, and now Chicago. And his rhetoric is around, well, you know, this illegals, which one they're not. But his poll numbers went up. And so it's an issue that resonates, right? Because it is this we versus them. It's like we are getting attacked. They are coming in. And in that polarizing argument, immigrants lose out because we also don't have any political power, right? We are the group that anyone can kind of kick around and there's nothing that we can do about it. All immigration issues cannot be solved with just a single bill, but any legislation that provides a pathway to legalization would be a huge milestone, as current programs such as DACA are still being constantly reevaluated in the courts. We know DACA is under threat. It will probably end, if not next year, then the next. And so, unfortunately, we know that our futures are in limbo again, and it's really hard to live court case to court case, right? So we're hopeful that Congress can actually pass something like the DREAM Act. Prior to the Trump administration, we were trying to use DACA as a means to an end, a bridge to a permanent legislation in Congress that would give people legal permanent residence. When Trump tried to eliminate the program, it shifted the fight into the courts. So now it's in the courts, they're still deciding, and there's a high danger that in the end, DACA will be rescinded. And if that happens, all of those people that were under that protection will be unprotected. And although the current administration will not make it a priority for people to be deported, you can't guarantee that with future executives, future presidents, future administrations. And so, unfortunately, Congress is not at a point where it looks like any legislation is going to move. No matter the administration, undocumented immigrants have dealt with mixed messages and a lot of uncertainty when it comes to major immigration reform. In 2013, just a year after establishing DACA, the Obama administration carried out more deportations than any other president in U.S. history, since the statistics started being recorded in 1892, with about 432,000 removals. Meanwhile, President Trump's immigration policies included the termination of DACA, and the Biden administration has recently released their plans to continue the construction of Trump's infamous border wall. Hearing this type of harsh rhetoric is nothing new for undocumented immigrants, many of whom live with the constant fear of deportation. We can throw around numbers and statistics when it comes to immigration, but at the end of the day, these are real people with their own unique experiences. 
sometimes what I was told in my household of you have to stay low key, you have to stay on the low, you cannot make yourself seen because if you make yourself seen, you can get deported or you can get your family members deported. That was kind of my mindset before. That was if I talk about who I am, I can either get deported or my parents can get deported. And I felt like that created an immense amount of fear that I just didn't talk about it. I told people I was an immigrant and everything, but I never actually shared my story in a way that it could inspire and tell, help other undocumented youth. I always thought I never knew what it meant to tell your story. And that was the first time I got the opportunity to tell. One, tell my story, of course, and to also understand that it could empower other youth. Because storytelling is a way you can empower other folks and inspire and people can connect to your story and understand what they're going through. It's not only themselves, right? At this point, I had more friends who were illegal, who were so smart so so smart, had 4.0 GPAs, valedictorians, and they couldn't get scholarships to go to college. They couldn't apply to anything. And I just felt so angry at that because that's talent. They didn't ask, none of us asked to come here. Like our parents brought us here for a better future, but what kind of future is there if we can't go to college and pursue our wildest dreams? Ahorita estamos en un momento en donde los jóvenes ya no están soñando. Tenemos DACA por las peleas y por el movimiento de los jóvenes estudiantes. No porque Obama hubiera sido una buena persona, pero porque los jóvenes se hartaron y dijeron, ya no más, necesitamos algo para nosotros y los 11 million that are undocumented here. DACA has shown that, how young people that were undocumented said, you know what? Yes, we're undocumented. Yes, we're vulnerable, but we're going to stand up. And I think that that is a case study of what anyone should do when they have to redress anything to their government, whether it's a municipal government or it's the federal government. That we have the authority to do that. I think DACA has shown the class, the young people have shown us that. And we need to not just see that as an immigration component, but just civically what we can do here in the U.S. with any issue. And I think that speaks more to just their immigration status. It speaks more to them, but that this country does give you the ability to stand up and demand change. It's not about policy and it's not about people who are in power and what they can do for us. It's about real people, right? Thank you for listening to the first episode of UndocuLife, brought to you by Hola Cultura with support from the DC Oral History Collaborative. Join us next week where we'll speak with Carla Nicole God Ramirez, a local middle school teacher, writer, and blogger who came to the Washington area in 2001 at the age of 11. Don't forget to follow us on all social media platforms at Hola Cultura DC and subscribe to the podcast to always be the first to know when new weekly episodes are published. As an added bonus, if you subscribe and follow Hola Cultura social channels and share your own immigration experience with us, you'll get a chance to be featured on the Hola Cultura Instagram page.